Welcome to the Wise Out of Free Conversations podcast. This month, we continue our series on parenting. In this episode, Bruce Drugsma and Sarah Galligan, pastoral staff at Wise Out of Free, have a conversation that addresses the questions parents have about talking to their kids about sex. Well, Bruce, I want to say welcome. I am super excited to get a chance to sit down with you and address a kind of a, a new topic for us in our podcast. We are going to be covering a series of questions parents have about different topics. And specifically today, we're going to talk about questions parents have about sex. And so Bruce Drugsma will tell a little bit more about himself, but Bruce Drugsma and I both work on staff at Wayzata Free. I'm Sarah Galligan, and I work as the kids pastor on staff. And Bruce? And I'm Bruce Drugsma. I'm the pastor of community and spiritual formation currently. I've been in this role for a couple of years. For those that don't know me, prior to that, I have over 15 years of youth ministry, middle school primarily, but middle school and high school experience, both at Wayzata Free and at a previous church. I also have four kids of my own, Mm. Uh, so that plays into the conversation. So Right, and walking into this conversation, had we done this a couple months ago, I would have been coming in as a single person with no children. Now I'm coming into this conversation as a step-parent and a newly married person. So this is a whole new ballpark for me as I kind of navigate what this conversation could be like with my kids in the future too. So um so we're excited to talk about this and it is a it's a topic that can be really hard to talk about so we're going to try to be pretty open and honest as we can so we just are excited to continue in that path so Bruce where do you want to start Well I think starting right there you know that it's a difficult conversation you know as I think about when I was a kid having the sex talk with my parents mm-hmm. I'm sure it happened more than I remember I don't want my parents to listen to this and call me and be angry <laughs> that no, that's not how it was at all. But but how I perceived it was basically one conversation with my dad that was basically like, so sex is between a man and a woman, and it happens when you're married. End of conversation. Mm-hmm. And and it took a little longer to get to that, but that was the gist of the conversation. That was it. Uh, and I had a conversation with my dad later in life when I was a parent, and. He was like, well, you're lucky you got that because when I was a kid, I didn't get anything. You know, we, we come to this spot where as a parent, I, I don't exactly have a lot to look back on. I have right. more than my dad did, but it's, it's not much. Right. And it's intimidating. I don't want to do a bad job at it. Mm-hmm. So then we sit, if you're like me, you sit and do nothing out of fear because yeah. the, the risk is I will do a bad job or I'll do no job. So mm-hmm. let's do no job. Right. Well, there is a slight age difference between Bruce and I. So for me, I I did kind of fall in that category of my parents didn't tell me about sex. I learned from school and I learned from church and and my friends, you know, my peers. And so those were the people that shaped my upbringing or viewpoint as it pertains to sex, because it just wasn't something that we sat down with our parents and talked about. Now, some of my friends might have, but for the most part, most of my friends and I were figuring it out on our own or from our youth pastor or what you learned in, you know, the one day in health class that you learn about sex. Yeah. And that's, that's more what I remember from growing up is I remember hearing about it in health class and getting kind of that very, we'll say medical Mm -hmm. description and understanding that was tied in with, you know, everything else in the school. And then I went to church and I got a very, I'm going to say religious rather than biblical. You know, my friends and I in high school joked that every time February rolled around, we knew it was sex month Mm -hmm. because our youth pastor would get up and spend the whole month of February talking about sex. 
And the fact that he talked about it every February isn't a problem right. in my mind. The fact that it was the only topic that I remember him repeating and he repeated it every year, kind of raised it, elevated it to a different status, maybe a higher status than it deserved. You know, he didn't talk about missions mm. more, more than once in my high school career. He didn't talk about, you know, serving the poor. He didn't talk about evangelism. He didn't talk about worship. He didn't talk about these other things more than once, but boy, sex got a month mm. every year. Right. <laughs> like that's when you talk about what was your upbringing, what was your yeah. childhood sex education? Like that's the peak thing I remember. Yeah. Like the conversation with my dad kind of is there conversation in health class kind of there, but the, the big focus in youth ministry rises to the top. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would say, you know, like, like I said, the one day in health class, like I remember that, like that's, that's definitely, and I think it was more because it was awkward. And so you, you very much remember that day because you probably went off with your friends and talked about it afterwards, or you shared, cause they typically would separate the boys and the girls when I was a kid in school. And so it was like, what did the girls find out? What did the boys find out? You know, but then when we did it in youth group, very much, at least at my, at my age, it was very much an emphasis on purity and modesty and not a lot of conversation about how sex is a blessing and something that God gives us and wants us to enjoy, but more scare us away from sex because they didn't want us to make the wrong decisions about sex. So it it was hard to understand whether this was a good thing or a bad thing we needed to stay away from. Yeah, I would agree. One of my friends who grew up in the same era talks about it this way, that the church treated sex and would say to you, Sex is evil, wicked, bad, and nasty, and it's something you save for somebody you really, really love. Right. It seems so weird, right? Because yeah. then what happens? So then when you find the person you love, you're supposed to do the wicked, nasty, horrible thing now, right. and it's all of a sudden now good and wonderful. Yeah. So it was this very incongruous experience. And my youth pastor, you know, would would talk about it. And he would almost over the top, awkwardly yeah. talk about how great it was. Mm-hmm. But Tied in with it was this idea that if you make a mistake in this area, you will not experience this great thing. Yeah. Like one mistake and it's lost. So you better not risk it. Yep. And with guys that was more directed at the topic of pornography sure. yep. than it was at, at sex, in, in yep. my opinion, than the actual act. But with women, girls, it was very much like, if you're not a virgin, when you get married, mm-hmm. you're in trouble. You mm-hmm. will not experience true relational joy or something. Yeah. You've now lost the opportunity to give your husband this gift that you should be giving him. If you're not walking in as a virgin, that's, you know, if you grew up in a church or in a home where that was a a huge emphasis and, and I, and I want to be careful in our conversation that Bruce and I, our intention is not to say that you shouldn't still want to strive for this. This is what God intends is that we, that we're walking in and that we're having a relationship with, with our spouse. Right. And, and that's the only sexual relationship that we hopefully are having, but the real world involves failure in that. And we haven't given permission for people to feel accepted, even if they fail. Right. And so trying to figure out how do you navigate this as a parent, as a church, how do you talk about something, make sure people understand the importance of it and how important it is to make the right decisions, but also say that, yes, you might not make the right decisions and there's still grace in that too. Growing up in that era, coming out of that experience, how that's guided me as a parent, 
there are some positive things that came out of that. Like, again, going back to my dad's experience, the church didn't talk about it to the kids. Right. And his dad didn't talk about it to the kids. And so one of the positives of that is that it brought the conversation into the church mm-hmm. with the best of intentions. I think it's fair to say that there might be experiences that were with negative intentions. So we don't want to downplay that if you're out there and you were mistreated or your church did have bad intentions or your parents had bad intentions, that could be the case. But we're speaking from, we believe that the people who were a part of what we grew up with were not going in with ill intentions. We as a church need to apologize for how we've skewed not just the message of sex, but other ones. We went into that with the best of intentions, trying our very best. And I know some people came out damaged on the other side. And for that, we are sorry. Yes. And I say that as a youth pastor for other youth pastors, hey, we are sorry, you know, we screwed that up. You know, do not defile the marriage bed is something that we are called as believers to do. So that's the tension we sit in as parents is, you know, how do I, how do I have this conversation with my kids and not wreck them, right. you know, in the future? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet, how do I have this conversation and encourage them? Because you know, one of the things that didn't do well, the purity movement, going back to that, is it didn't teach grace. Like I remember them talking about this concept of secondary virginity. If you've made a mistake, you can come back and you can repent and you're forgiven. And I think we elevated it, you know, Mm -hmm. like to your point, Sarah, you said there is failure in the Christian walk. Mm -hmm. And so allowing for failure, not encouraging it, but allowing for it and allowing for grace and redemption and reconciliation in all areas. Yeah. And not unintentionally sending the message of, well, if you lie, you can be forgiven. If you mm-hmm. cheat, you can be forgiven. If you steal, mm-hmm. you can be forgiven. If you have sex before you're married, you can have a secondary option, but you don't mm-hmm. really go back. You're not really yeah. fully forgiven and reconciled. I want to avoid that message with my kids. Yeah. Well, and I feel like if I look back at a lot of the things that we find are hidden sins that people struggle with are things that tie back to these conversations. Because I feel like if you knew that there was help and hope and a safe place where you could talk about this, where you wouldn't instantly be put in a box as someone who is now damaged goods. If you knew that, then I think walking into this is something that I struggle with, you know, a conversation about pornography. I think the biggest thing that parents can offer to their kids is to say, here's what we would love for you. We would love that you'd be able to walk in and not have to struggle with these things. But we also know that this is a sinful world and that we are sinful people and we are not perfect. Purity sometimes conveys this message that we have the option to be perfect. We don't. We can't be perfect. But we can strive to do the things that we know God wants us to do, right? And when we fail, we know that God forgives us and that God offers us grace and that there are people who will love us through the next steps. If that's what's presented to kids when they're learning about this, then when they find themselves in those situations, it's much easier to go to an adult or a leader and say, here's what I'm going through. And if our response is, we're going to walk alongside you, not we're going to ostracize you, or you are now no longer a part of our family, or, you know, like those are the, those are the reasons why I feel like your dad and my parents' generations didn't talk about it because it was always then covered up because it was a very shameful thing if you made a mistake in those areas. I think it's great having this conversation literally two days after Garrett preached on Sunday and shared from the platform that he had a historic struggle with pornography. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know that I have ever heard another pastoral person share that on a Sunday morning in yeah. my life. As parents, you know, I try and have those kind of conversations with my kids. Mm-hmm. When my kids lose their temper, I don't start by saying, yeah, don't ever lose your temper. To start with, hey, I lose my temper too. In fact, I yes. did two days ago, if you remember that. Yeah. So we can we can work together on this. Yeah. Whether it's a sexual thing or not, to have that openness and vulnerability. At the same time, not overwhelming them. Yeah. Because, because I'm 39 years old. I have 39 years of sin experience behind me. If mm-hmm. I start listing all the sins I've done right. to my 12-year-old, right. he's going to look at me and go, you're yep. evil. Well, and it's this fine balance of encouraging obedience, but also identifying that failure is possible. With a lot of things, we're afraid to say that if you make a mistake, we're endorsing making the mistake. And I don't want us to to feel trapped in that way. As parents or as people working in ministry, I think it's really important that you have we have to make up for the fact that so many people have kept stuff inside and felt like they can't talk about it, which has led to mental health issues and just tons of different things that we have to go back and address. There's even a hashtag, much like when Me Too came out and there was a hashtag Me Too, there's a hashtag church too. And that makes me really sad that we've gotten to a point where people have kept those stories to themselves, that now there's this reawakening of, I have to now tell people because I can't hold it inside anymore. You know, as I look back on my past, like Garrett, I had struggles with pornography. And I can tell you that they started because of middle school health class. Right. Because my middle school health teacher told me things were options that I Mm. didn't know existed. So as a parent, I sit there and go, I don't want to tell my kids that there's this thing out there. I don't want to be the one who exposes them to something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet there's also a reality that they've most likely already been exposed. Right. Herein lies my tension as a parent. Mm -hmm. I want to have conversations. And so one of the things for me as a parent, one of the things I have to remind myself Matthew 10, 16 and 17, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. And I know he's talking, Jesus there is talking, and he's talking to the disciples as he's sending them out evangelistically. Mm-hmm. But that challenge to be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves is real. Yeah. And it applies to me as a parent to me as a, an employee, to me as a husband, to me as an evangelist in the world, yeah. in all of those contexts that I need to be aware, but I need to engage in the conversation with innocence. Yep. These conversations with my kids, letting them set the tone of the conversation and not assuming that they're asking the question that I think they're asking. And if you don't know me, I have twins. And then I had twins again. The only kids I have in my life are twins. So when my kids come to me and say, where do babies come from? You know, me as an adult, I approach it as a 39 year old who knows all of the biological mm-hmm. functionality of where babies come from. Mm-hmm. And they want to hear when a mom and dad love each other very much. Sometimes they choose to have a baby. That's what they want to hear. And that satisfies mm-hmm. them and they move mm-hmm. on. Later, I will have a deeper conversation. Yep. And that to me is the innocent as doves. I'm aware of what's going on. Yep. But I'm not immediately taking the head first dive down into, well, you see, you know, and launching it. 
Nope, totally. There's a lot of levels to this conversation. One of the things, Bruce, that I, I think is important in this conversation in society about purity culture and specifically about women and consent and different things like that. And a lot of people in that conversation will tie that back to their evangelical, whether strict or not, upbringing and how they kind of shaped that. And so we don't necessarily want to just harp on, on the church or anything like that. That's not our goal. But one thing that we do want you to understand is that it's really important in your conversation about sex with kids that you're talking about things like consent, even walking into a married relationship, that it's important that men and women both understand that this is a mutual decision, that there is nothing walking into a Christian marriage where one owes the other something. It's really, really important that this is something that they are doing together in their relationship. Much like Bruce talking about, if you get that message that sex is icky or weird or wrong, and now all of a sudden there's a ring on your finger and it's supposed to feel magically different. If, if that's the way you've viewed sex, then it becomes really difficult, male or female, to switch that light and be like, okay, and now I need to see it as an amazing thing. So it's hard to do that, but those are some of those kind of conversations, even in teenage years to try to talk about, you know, consent is an important thing. And, and you don't have to talk about it in the, in the sense of having sex before marriage, you can talk about it as it pertains to marriage. There are a lot of people who feel like they owe sex in a relationship. And hopefully it's something that you decide together that you want to do. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of stuff we can unpack in that. Like mm -hmm. I think of, you know, when I talk to my kids, if I'm going to talk to them about consent, look at, look at how much it's harmed lives where consent hasn't been agreed on, mm. but I don't want to fall into the trap of, and that's why if you get married, you don't have to worry about it. Right. Cause, cause the Bible talks about it. It says, you know, do not withhold sex except by mutual but it's that mutual thing is built into it right i've heard where people use that passage to talk about see that's why you gotta say yes you gotta say yes you, mm -hmm. you know, back to what you use that owed concept it, that's not what that verse is getting at right it should be something you both desire fasting there are appropriate times to set it down but mm -hmm. you shouldn't use it as a weapon against the person right because if we're going to talk about consent then we also need to talk about manipulation that's used right. in it Yep. I mean, we see that all throughout pop culture. Yeah. My spouse doesn't do what I want. I withhold this thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not what God's design was for it either. Right. And so that rabbit hole can go really deep. Mm -hmm. Being in the world, but not of it. Being aware of these things, being a student of culture, but not necessarily promoting it. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, you get afraid that if I bring this up, like my health teacher did, I'm going to send this kid down this path. It's very rare, statistically speaking, that you bringing something up, a topic that is known to somebody yeah. is going to encourage that behavior. And I'll give you right. an example. I was talking to a therapist friend of mine, and we were talking about suicide and self-harm. And he encouraged me to use this protocol. And the first thing it says is like, have you ever thought about harming yourself or committing suicide? And the question was brought up, well, doesn't that encourage them that you should be suicidal? Mm -hmm. You should be. And he goes, there is no study that supports that. Every study shows that bringing it up discourages the behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think the same is true outside of just suicide and self-harm. Mm -hmm. You know, to show my kids, I'm aware of this idea. I'm, I'm aware of what you're facing. 
you know, to say, hey, I get hookup culture is a thing right now. It's out there. I get consent is a thing. It's out there. So let's talk about it. And mm-hmm. me bringing it up isn't going to encourage, oh, that's okay. Oh, right. dad talked about hookup culture. That means it's fine. Yeah. Talking about sexual harassment in your workplace doesn't necessarily give people the idea to sexually harass people. It's it's meant to address a problem. I think it's a good thing to talk about it. And so my suggestion is that for those parents that are worried about that, I think the first step is to talk about it as you and your spouse. If you are in a married relationship as a parent, that you're talking with your partner about these scenarios, because I think that initial shock sometimes can also be damaging in those conversations with your kids being somewhat desensitized so that if your child comes to you and says, this happened, you're not like, because sometimes that can make a, a child close off and decide, oh, I shouldn't have shared this. And then future conversations become difficult. So I think, you know, just kind of running through some scenarios of what would we do if our child came to us and said this? You know, I think it's helpful to kind of do mock versions of it just a little bit so that you're ready for those conversations. You might not have answers. Well, I think that's a great point. When I go through my LGBT learning circle, one of the Mm -hmm. things we talk about is what do you do if your kid comes out to you? Yeah. But it applies so much beyond just coming out. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it from the kid's perspective, whether it's sex outside of marriage, whether it's alcohol or drug addiction, whether it's pornography or whatever it is they're struggling with, they've been struggling with it for months or years before they talk to you. So they have had all this time to process and think through coming to that point where they realize they have a problem and they're coming to you for help. You as a parent don't get that time. You just don't. You have to respond well in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so being prepared as a parent that when my kid comes to me with some shocking news, whatever it is, my goal, I'm playing the long game. Yeah, I'm playing exactly. the long game with my kids. I want yep. to keep them in my life no matter what. Yep. I want them to know they're loved, they're cared yep. for, they're in my life forever. So I'm not going to respond with anger. I'm right. not going to respond with disgust. I'm yep. not going to respond with shock and awe. I'm going to start with something along the lines of, wow, thank you for sharing that with yes. me. That took a lot of guts for you to forward with that. And then whatever the topic is to say, we're going to have a lot of conversations about this. And some of them might be awkward. I love you and, and move on from there. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with that 100%. I think even, you know, in our scenario, Chris's daughter is six. And so we've even been saying things like, you know what, you always can talk to us. Even if it's something that you think we're going to be mad about, we want you to tell us. And and we want you to know that no matter what that conversation is about, that we're going to love you and we're going to still love you after having that conversation. Because we're just laying foundational groundwork for whatever could come. Like you said, that long game idea is a great way to look at it. Because I think when you go, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? Are we still going to love our child after that? Are we still committed to working things out? And if that's yes, then whatever that situation is, no matter how hard or difficult it is, your goal is to work it out. Well, the thing I'm working on right now is responding well then in the small things. Mm Because I can't tell them, hey, trust me with the big things and then respond poorly in the small things. Right. Yeah. So like in this era of COVID, Mm -hmm. I find myself in the morning whenever any kid gets up and goes... I don't feel good. I immediately go to, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to take another day. 
I, I need to work on that. I need yeah. to not respect Thank you for telling me that. Mm -hmm. uh, let's look into this. Let's figure it out. Because it's responding well in those small moments. Because if you start responding negatively every time their homework isn't done, every mm -hmm. time they don't feel good, every mm -hmm. time they complain about the snack, they're going to go, boy, my parents freaked out about that. How are mm -hmm. they going to handle this big thing? Yeah. That doesn't mean we just say, oh, it's no problem. I don't want to create spoiled brats either. There's appropriate right. times as a parent to step in and go, nope that's inappropriate behavior. Yep. But responding well in that moment also doesn't mean that we say it's okay. Nope. If my kid comes to me and says, I'm struggling with an addiction to alcohol, I've been, I've been stealing alcohol out of the closet. My response saying, thank you for telling me doesn't say that's acceptable behavior. I am going to say, Hey, we're going to lock the closet and right. we're going to maybe get rid of that alcohol yep. and we're going to take it out because that is inappropriate behavior. Mm -hmm. But thank you for telling me. And I love you enough to do that. Mm -hmm. So do we, I, I guess one of my questions is, do we get rid of talking about purity altogether as it pertains to sex? Is purity more about God and less about specifically sex? So like, for instance, an article that I read talked about how purity comes from one place, the blood of the lamb, not from our behavior. Our purity comes through the righteousness of Jesus that God gives us by grace through faith. So talking about sexual ethics in terms of sin and obedience using terms like holiness or godliness is better than talking about purity. And that came from an, an article called Critique Purity Culture, but Teach Sexual Ethics to Teens. And it was the Gospel Coalition. It's a little bit of a semantics thing because purity and holiness are so interconnected. I'm not mm -hmm. sure we can disconnect them that much. Right. I'm not going to talk, teach my kids about purity, but I am going to teach them about holiness. Well, right. you know, the Bible says, be holy because I am holy. And it, you know, Paul says, don't go on sinning so that grace abounds all the more. Right. It's not that, yeah, so we're covered by the blood of the lamb, so do whatever you want. So there's a little bit of semantics there. And I get that in the sense of purity culture is a thing. It's a hashtag. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a name. I'm more about reclaiming it. Yeah, I like that. It. I want my kids to, to pursue purity. And there's so many ways we could talk about that, that, hey, I would like you to have pure water to drink because it's going to be the best for you. That whole concept of purity, I think is still a good thing. Mm -hmm. You just need to reclaim it because mm -hmm. in the, in the world of sex, we put it in this, if you've broken it, it's broken for right. Right. One of the great examples I see is when Jesus is confronting the woman caught in adultery, right? Mm -hmm. So here she is dragged in front of him, thrown on the ground. And the first thing Jesus does is he makes sure she's safe. But the first thing he did is he got those who had stones to drop them mm. and walk away mm -hmm. before he looked at her and said, go and sin no more. Right. And so with my kids, I want to adopt the same approach that when I have the conversation, whether it's about purity or any other sin issue, the first thing I want to do is make sure they're safe. Yep. Again, it's that long game. And, and when we look at that story with Jesus, do we honestly assume that she would never sin again because Jesus told her not to? Well, no, sanctification is all about becoming more like Christ. And we know, theologically speaking, we all affirm that we don't achieve it until we're standing in front of him face to face. Mm -hmm. Like sanctification is a process that we will take our whole life and never fully achieve. That doesn't mean we stop trying, but it also means we can't look at our kids and go, never do that again, and realistically expect them to never do it again. Right. Yeah. Name a sin that you've never done again. I think it is important to 
help kids understand that you're giving them your own examples without going into detail. But I think it's important when in these conversations, you're saying, this is something that I struggled with, or this is something that your mom and I had to figure out when we first got married. I think it's important for kids to hear that their family members have felt like they did. Because anytime anyone is struggling with something, when they know that there are more than just themselves out there that are dealing with it, it it makes it easier to go through it, right? And and if they know that you have some experience, and maybe you don't, I mean, there, there are probably parents out there in this conversation that maybe don't have experience with sexual sins or things related to purity. That could very well be the case. But there are lots of correlations that you can make between other sins as well. But just helping kids understand that we're not perfect does help have that conversation a little bit easier. You know, and these are the conversations we should be having from day one, like literally from day one. Your stepdaughter is six. I would hope you've already had some conversations. Now, Mm -hmm. are you talking about anatomy and and medically how sex happens? Right. Uh, Probably not. And I hope not. Right. Are you talking about the importance of intimacy and relationship? And are yep. you modeling that? Yeah, exactly. Because so much of the teaching that we do on sex, we don't realize we've already done in how we treat our spouse mm-hmm. and how we treat members of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. I think also one of the questions that I often get from parents is whether or not they should be the first one. And I think you've kind of addressed that now. Do I need to be the first one that talks to my kids about sex Or is it okay to leave that in the hands of the school first and then we talk about it? Or does church, you know, I know that the youth group's going to talk about it. Do I wait until then? I think what we're saying is you have to create a space in your home where it's okay to talk about it. When you decide to do that is up to you. It's good to lay some of those foundational conversations that lead to the deeper conversations, you know? So if you're starting at a young age, talking about some of the basics of things, like you said, like, I think all of that is important. There isn't a perfect time to have really, really specific conversations about sex. Yeah. Somebody gave me some great advice and they basically said, let them guide the conversation. Mm. And that doesn't mean they pick the topic. You know, when a kid comes to me, when one of my kids comes to me and goes, Hey dad, what's the deal with pornography? I go, well, what have you heard? Yeah. Rather than let me tell you all the graphic. Details right. Let's see where you're at. Life. Cause if they go, yeah, these kids were saying somebody got in trouble for it at school and I didn't know what it was is yeah. different than, yeah, somebody was giving it away. I want to know where they're at before I dive in. Again, back to that shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. I'm going to try and walk that line as much as I can. I'm going to thank them for bringing it up and encourage Mm -hmm. that behavior. And and like I said, they are already getting messages Mm -hmm. from TV, from Mm -hmm. school, from music, from their friends. You know, I had somebody once tell me, your kids have been exposed to the level of their friend's oldest sibling. Like if you have a, well, I'll I'll use you, Sarah, you have a six-year-old. If yeah. you have a six-year-old and that six-year-old is the only child, mm-hmm. but goes and hangs out with a six-year-old friend who has a 10-year-old brother, you have to assume they've been exposed at that level. That mm. the 10-year-old has said something mm-hmm. to their sibling mm-hmm. that has gone to her friend, which is your sure. daughter. We want to be in front of it and not overexpose them. And there's no right answer, but it's just being aware, being a student of culture, mm-hmm. know what your, your kids are watching. Mm-hmm. know who they're talking to, mm-hmm. not in a micromanaging helicopter right. parent mode. Well, and I often feel like as a kid's pastor, if you're telling your kid that this thing is wrong, sometimes the way it comes to me or the way they say it to another kid 
is different from what you intended. So it's not a bad idea to have those conversations even more than once because sometimes it's like the telephone game. It it doesn't filter exactly the the same way as what you intended. And the more you talk about it, the more it's like, oh yeah, that's right. That's what this is. Or that's what we talked about as a family. One of the things to go back to the purity culture conversation, mm-hmm. I said one of the positive things that brought the sex conversation into the church. Yep. I think one of the negatives is it brought it out of the home. All throughout the Old Testament, especially, we see this idea that you should be talking with your kids as they stand up, mm-hmm. as they lie down, as you go about your business. We were supposed to constantly be speaking the things of God mm-hmm. into our kids' lives. And, and by relegating it to somebody else, we are giving up that yeah. task, that godly ordained task that mm-hmm. we have been given. Whether it's sex or any anything else, if we look at the church or the school or the government or anybody else and say, it's your job to teach my kids mm-hmm. this thing. Yes, I put my kids in public school and trust the school to teach right. them. I'm aware of what's going on and realize that I am still supposed to be their primary teacher. Right. I'm going to stay engaged in that conversation. Same thing with sex. If our church talks about it, and our church does, when our church talks about it, great. Yeah. But if they don't, it's not like it's their fault. It's my fault if my kids mm-hmm. haven't been talked to. In the same way I'm going to be in front of the conversation at school, I want to be in front of the conversation at church. Mm-hmm. So Bruce, what do you hope comes out of this conversation? I, I hope the one takeaway is that parents realize they're not the only ones struggling with having mm-hmm. these conversations. And I hope that that gives them the confidence to just step in and start. Yeah. Because like any challenging conversation, it's not going to get easier no matter how many books you read. Mm. You just got to start having the conversation. Mm. And I'm struggling to have these. I'm behind. Mm. I should have had more conversations with my kids than I have. I should have started earlier. So I'm not sitting here saying, boy, I'm doing a great job. I'm passing on what little bit of lessons I've learned and hopefully helping somebody else do even better than I did. My goal is that you hear parents, you are not alone. It's an awkward, challenging conversation. The best way to do it is to just dive in and start having the conversation. Be aware that your kids might not be ready for all of it and be quick to set it down and celebrate the fact that they're not ready for all of it. And then just keep circling back to it. Like anything, it gets less awkward the more you do it. Mm -hmm. I am finding it. The third conversation was easier than the first. The fifth Mm -hmm. was easier than the third. I'm glad that we got to this point where we're talking about it more openly and freely. And the fact that even in a church service, that we're talking about struggles with sexual sins. I think desensitizing people to that and helping them understand that there are many more people that are struggling with it than probably are open about it. And so as parents, as we talk about it, when we make those safe places in our homes or safe places in in church to talk about it, it just makes it easier if you're facing struggles to know that people are there with you. And so as parents, you're, you're giving your kids such an amazing gift that they feel safe talking to you about these kind of things. And hopefully it leads to less pain that we see in marriages and in church leadership and all those things that get very, very devastated by that secret sin of struggling with sex. So well, and I would just, the other thing I would add to that is just that it doesn't apply just to sex. Right. I mean, it's any conversation you have yep. with your kids. It takes some of the mystique away from it to know that I can have a conversation with my kids about three other things, things that I, you know, I want to talk to them about their anger and their mm-hmm. stealing and their mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. I can have those conversations. I can have this conversation and I yeah. can be open and vulnerable in those. 
and open and vulnerable in these. And for me, my goal is if I think I've learned lessons from how it was done in my childhood mm -hmm. and I've improved on it, I hope my kids improve on me. Mm -hmm. And that we can help move to the next generation and set them up better for the future. You've been listening to the Wyzetta Free Conversations podcast. For more information about Wyzetta Free Church, please check out wyzettafree.org or download our app available on the App Store or on Google Play.